Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast all about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about Murder, a self-portrait. Originally broadcast November 25th, 1999. Written by Robert Sherman, directed by James Frawley. Starring Patrick Bachow, Fiona, Fianola, darn it, Flanagan, Sheridan Ace, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of the podcast, we're joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. And we are welcoming back today uh, podcaster, writer, and cultural critic with We Are the Mutants, Michael Grasso. But before we bring Michael on, RJ, you are no longer the chalice of my memory. Well, some people try to pick up girls and get called weenies. This never happened to Max Barsini. He could walk down the beach and girls could not resist his stare. And so Max Barsini was never called a weenie. Well, the ex-wife would turn the color of the avocado when he would make it with a young model in his beachside condo. He could walk down the beach and murder with a can of paint and air. And so, Max Barcidi never got called a weenie. Not like you. Alright. Well, Colombo was only 5'6", but he could not resist this case. Max Barcidi never got called a weenie. Not in Santa Monica. Oh, well, be not schmuck, be not obnoxious, be not old English chap buried in Vito's basement. Remember the story of Max Barsini? He could walk down the beach, and girls could not resist his stare. Max Barsini was never called a weenie. All right, this is it. Well, some people try to murder girls, and they get called weenie. Actually, that did happen to Max Barsini. He could walk down the beach, and girls could not resist his stare, and so... Max Barsini was never called. Well, Mike, welcome back to the show. Wow, <laughs> Nipsey Russell lives again. I, I am so <laughs> Well, the thing is, I'm just such a fan of the song Roadrunner that I had to pay uh, tribute to it. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, welcome back to the program. Uh, how, how have you been? Thanks for coming back as we're winding things down, getting I'm... looking looking down the, the hallway toward the, uh, the bright light at the end of it, well, the 90s episodes. <laughs> Speaking of so, as someone who has recently finished a podcast, it's That's uh, right. It's a great and liberating feeling once it does happen. It's sad, but also you know you're gonna you're gonna have this whole wide open vista of possibility open to you. Well, and, and it's still out there. Uh, it, you hosted a podcast for uh, quite a while. You went through the entire run of WKRP in Cincinnati, and you you folks That's... you did it in order, so you knew. Yes, we did. You knew, like, oh, okay, we're, we're season, or the last season, the last couple episodes, but this, we've bounced around, so it gets a little uh, confusing and strange going from 70s to 90s, 70s to 90s, and so... you got a big, like, tote board up somewhere with, like, all the, the episodes you've done ch- crossed off, like, you, like you've got a hit list or something. Actually, it's, it's I, a stone this close, I... It, this it, close, it's this a, close to nailing Hannibal Lecter. It, it's, a, <laughs> it's a stone I carry around my neck. On a daily basis. <laughs> Again, I can with, with hash marks on it. That's uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. We finished up "Hold My Order, Terrible Dresser" uh, a few months back, and uh, uh, you know, Rob McDougall and I have just been kind of resting on our laurels. But uh, yeah, I've been doing some writing for uh, "We Are the Mutants." We'd love to have one of you guys on to write about Columbo one of these days. Maybe Ooh. when you finish. Maybe who knows? I mean, th- we've done plenty of research. Yeah. <laughs> if there's like a topic you years. guys are expert on, I would have to imagine by this point it's Columbo. Well, so the 90s episodes, they can 
tend to be uh, very uneven. And this one, I, I, I had a little bit of uh, hesitation going into it because I we didn't really put it off for any specific reason. It just kind of happened that way. And I saw it years ago, and I remember uh, having some sort of really intense dislike of it at the time. And so I wasn't looking forward to it, but on this afternoon, like a couple Saturdays back, I watched this thing again, and uh, goodness help me, I en- I enjoyed it. I actually liked it, and I'm wondering how, how if you guys kind of felt the same way if you've seen it multiple times. Well, yeah. Can, yeah. Go ahead. Now, nah, Michael, get in there, man. Okay, yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I, I am not an encyclopedic Columbo fan by any means, uh, and... You know, this is probably one of the I mean, I think I saw a lot of these when they were first on. I think that I think, you know, at that point I would have been in what, like early, early high school, junior high, something like that. Sure. And I think my folks really loved Columbo back in the 70s. So when he came back on TV, they figured he'd give it a try. Um, and I know I know that the that the 80s, 90s ones can be a little uneven. This one had uh, like little little moments of like potential promise and actually like really kind of unnerving like visual imagery and stuff. Yeah. But every now and again, it would just kind of go a little too far, go into the cheesy zone, you know what yeah. I mean? And it would kind of bounce back and forth kind of tonally. And, uh, you, you know, again, maybe if this weren't on network TV in the late eighties, there could have, you know, they could have gone a little darker or a little bit weirder, but as it was, it kind of just treaded that line a little bit too much for me and kind of went back and forth across it, you know? Uh, John, what did you? Th- what's your view on this whole thing? And well, we'll, get I, I into, we'll get into the specifics of the plot and everything in a bit. But I'm just, just imp- impressions is what I'm, I'm going after here. Okay. Well, I will. Uh, I, ideally, this will be a living metaphor. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned before we started recording that I had filled, for the most part, filled two pages of a nine by twelve sketchbook with notes oh. uh, about this episode. And my handwriting, just for the record, is precious. So it's very tiny. <laughs> so there's quite a few notes. I, I uh, thought you meant lovely and cute, but you mean small. It is, it is okay. a bit adorable. It's very okay. <laughs> it's it's pixie-ish. Um, but the uh, the the first page was on my first viewing, which literally was my first viewing. I've never seen this one before I started oh, watching. Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay. Uh, and my my last page was on the the last viewing I did. And the first page, about three quarters of it, is all negative. Oh. And then it starts trending positive. By the last last episode, it's everything on this, for the most part. I would say about 85% of it is pure positivity. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, because, um, because I did that weird little gimmick with the uh, summary, let's, let's talk <laughs> a bit. Uh, basically, this episode... Um, Patrick uh, Batchow plays this uh, artist named Max Barsini, who has this uh, beach house in Malibu. He's a well-regarded, world-renowned artist. He has his second wife there, who's also his business manager, played by Sheer Denise. But his first wife, uh, played by Fiona Flanagan from Lost, is still living next door to him. But at the same time, he's got a model mistress who's also living in his house. And things are complicated and strange, and he's this very egotistical, odd fellow. And at some <laughs> point, um, his first wife decides she's had enough of this. She's been seeing a therapist, and she's going to move away. And so she's he... been seeing a therapist and seeing a therapist. Ex- yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> she saw the therapist, got better, and then started seeing the therapist romantically. Um, 
And so, yeah, he kills her, but it's not for the reason that you think it is. Mm. It's it, Well, partially. I'm sure that that's partially there for him. But also because she knew that uh, he had actually killed uh, an old art dealer manager of his ages and ages ago, buried his body in the basement of a bar where they were living in some odd arrangement in a loft, which we'll get into that because that makes no sense spatially <laughs> at all. Um, and he's afraid that she'll just, you know, crack and confess to this whole thing. So that's why he murders her. And that's your setup for Columbo coming into this whole this whole weird mess. Mm. Yes. You uh, you left out something and I refuse to proceed until we address it directly. Hmm. The 40th annual Bassett Hound Club picnic. Oh, no, no. That's a thing. I, I'm not talking about that. I just want to get to actual I want to talk about the actual murder stuff. But yeah, the episode, <laughs> the episode. <laughs> The episode is one of the rare ones where you see Columbo before the murder actually happens, but only mm-hmm. because it starts out at a Basset Hound Club picnic where he's got <laughs> dog, and it's this kind of wacky, zany thing. Yeah. And what it, it, what was the runtime on that? About ninety three minutes, probably. <laughs> Of the Basset Hound Club, just about about an hour and a half or three hours it or so had, of Basset Hounds. Dogs and costumes. It had an insane howling contest. It, the, the MC of the whole thing uh, was that guy from No Time to Die, who was like the cook in the restaurant that oh. Columbo talks to, uh, oh. David Bird. Um, oh, but it gets it, it's just very very strange. And and then yeah, dog you know, it, dog it, bites it, him. What? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. strange. It's a weird opening for a Columbo well, here's, episode. It's it's a wonderful opening because it flies in the face of the of the of the feeling of the rest of the episode. Okay, which is yeah. tremendous. All right. Uh, but when I'm watching this opening, I'm literally thinking. I think I might have even said it out loud in frustration. I know it's here in my notes. There is no way, and I exaggerated it so that this will tie in in any fashion to the rest of the episode. I laid that line down like that. I said the Basset Hound Club is just wasting time, and I was so angry with the episode. And, of course, later on, it will be a key moment. Yeah. Right, oh, yeah. which is strange. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are, you earn a lot of goodwill with me if you have a Basset Hound costume competition <laughs> at the beginning of your TV movie. I mean, that's, you know... That, that, that's going to put you on the right foot. And, uh, well, I yeah, think you know, that, that's why you love um, uh, Winds of War so much. <laughs> because uh, I think yeah, that, gonna, that started with one, too. Yes. Yeah, you got to start with everything with a dog show. I, I did find something interesting, though. You talked about the contrast between sort of the whimsical opening and then we descend into the, the Barsini sort of harem cult. But, like, um, Barsini's opening monologue where he's talking about sort of, like, sizing up what a beautiful woman looks like. I, on my second viewing, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. This is kind of um, like what all those breeders were doing at the dog show. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, oh, you know, my gosh. Good not sure catch. if it was intentional, but it was it was it was remarkable anyway to me. I thought oh, that's a wonderful on it. That's that's very nice. Well, and, and that's the, a good parallel. The, the weird uh, the whimsicalness of it. Uh, the guy who directed this uh, directed six Columbo episodes, uh, one of which was Sex and the Married Detective, which has that terrible, terrible um whimsical tuba sequence in it with the kids at the orchestra. So I think that, I think um, Murder, Smoke, and Shadows with the weird magical realism thing at the end where Columbo's all of a sudden (laughs) wearing... So this director, when he was doing the latter era Columbo ones, he kind of liked throwing that sort of thing in. 
It's well, amazing. again, if I was going to say this is kind of like, you know, minor league David Lynch, the rest of the episode, this is kind of like the beginning of Blue Velvet, where you pan <laughs> across lovely, you know, sort of Wholesome. You know, white yes. Yeah, exactly. And then you descend into the oh, into the yeah. psychodrama of the of the Barzini house. Because my I mean, feeling, though, is that I, if I were trapped at this Basset Hound Club, it would weigh, it would weigh on my my psychic like coherence in the same way that living with Barsini would. <laughs> it just they both seem like terrible cults. Well, the, weird, <laughs> the other thing too is uh, it, it's uh, for all the ultra directed um, how to dial a murder, which we talked about recently, which for us was two years ago, um, <laughs> which which used like a, a nice dogs as a murder weapon, as a horrific murder weapon, and then here he's got them as a weird little like a, a whimsical sort of prop and set piece to kind of throw you off for the murder later on. Which I, maybe maybe uh, some of those basset hounds have killed before. They could have just listening to <laughs> listening to hearing rosebud or something like that, and <laughs> and then slowly lope over to bite someone on an ankle. <laughs> it didn't quite make the uh, didn't quite uh, make the front page for murders. Yeah. Oh man! Imagine having a page three murder. <laughs> Actually, I only after I said that I thought about it. And it was like, oh, that's that's a little sad. Yeah, it is incredibly <laughs> depressing. Like, and and when would it would it be because the murder wasn't exciting enough, or as yeah. a victim you weren't exciting enough to make it the front page? Nobody <laughs> I cared that you were murdered. Like, which is which is it? Or both would be terrible too. I I took it to, I took it to mean that the newspaper guys were a little happy. Okay, oh, that, like they terrible. weren't that bothered. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, that guy, fuck up page three, eh, whatever. <laughs> hey, he was asking for it. <laughs> we, oh let me i do want to say one more thing about the hound segment i'll let it go but i the uh the arrangement of this old man they were playing was actually really delightful oh it was yeah it was, it was very odd yeah i've got i actually yeah. wrote that down because it was just like that's oh, very playful how nice yeah oh my gosh all right all, all right, right so get, getting getting past the passatone club picnic um <laughs> the really really strange dynamic of max barsini and his relationships to women Ugh. Anybody want to talk about that for a little bit? Because that's something incredible. Well, it's, really, it's, it's, it's really the center of the episode because, I mean, you know, eventually we do get into the, again, the long, the long past murder and the dream sequences and everything else. But like, you know, the, I, I feel like this episode really hinges on these performances being OK. And they are OK. I think all three actresses acquit themselves very well yeah. for the characters that they're given. Um, and I, you know, I have to admit the first scene I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is TV network TV in 1989. Like, you know, how far can they go? Like, you know, first of all, you put a European artist out there. Of course, he's going to be a dissolute guy with a mistress and another mistress and a ex-wife and they're, you know, and they're all living together. Of course, that's going to be the intimation that the, that the American audience in 1989 is going to be able to make. But in that first scene, it just becomes very clear, like, and he even says it, he kind of lampshades it later on. You know, I've got one wife to do my cooking. I've got one wife to manage. Yeah. And I've got and I've got this beautiful model uh, for sort of my erotic inspiration. And so it's all very spelled out. But, you know, the performances actually lend it a little bit of that sort of creepiness I was talking about earlier that mm-hmm. sometimes makes it over the line into creepy and sometimes is kind of campy. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, and that goes, the setup for this, and showing you their whole relationship and the whole um, environment there, I thought that goes on for a long, 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 long time, to the point where you feel as though, oh, I'm I'm watching an early <clears throat> 90s Showtime movie I'd <laughs> flip past, like at, at 
eight o'clock on a Sunday night. He's like, oh, okay, that's on today. Oh, the 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 artist's lament. All right, I'm gonna switch over to something else. It seemed like they set it up, but it seemed like they 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 could have maybe done a little bit less there. Yes. Well, you know, I, I will disagree. Hmm. Uh, I suppose I should mention that I I ended up watching this one five times. Of course you did, John. Wow. So of course John my did. mind my mind has been percolating. Uh, so you've seen an entire you have seen like a feature film length of that opening thing, which <laughs> yes, actually right. So that's like so it uh, is like you did see the entire film of these people in their life. Yeah. <laughs> Playing a flute at the dog. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, so when you watch a Columbo, you know there's going to be a, a murderer and a victim. And with Columbo, usually, I would say the vast majority of Columbos, you figure out who's who real quick. Mm. And that's maybe kind of the fun. In this one, trying to decide who is going to be the victim and who is going to be the murderer was impossible really I I, I I figured it was him right away because he is this weird oh you thought one of them was maybe going to kill him and then the three of them have to work together to try to hide it possibly mm, that would actually have, be a good episode it was all over the map i thought huh. shira denise was going to marry it was going to murder julie i thought all three of them were going to murder max see that i would I, go for that one that would have been amazing. Yeah, it's it's actually. a it's a hate it's a hate triangle or a hate quadrangle instead of a love. A love <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anybody of these people could murder anybody else. <laughs> Man, you'd have to have dice for that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the Chapino scene when everyone is gathered around the table. Yeah, uh, oh, and I th- I think Max is wearing his his red shirt, which is the same red as his signature paint that we learn later on. Oh, yeah. which is nice. They were they really dropped that red all over the place before Columbo mentions it, which is yeah. In the not... dish too, right? It was that tomato clam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, the chipino was really bright. Actually, I don't uh, remember offhand what was the. This is probably too much. I can't remember what color the rag would have been that he used to kill her. Well, it had red... her lipstick on it. And... Ah, okay. Yeah. So there's and a there's another and red his paint. There. Yeah, and his paint. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um. But the the way the women were costumed in that scene, I thought really lent the idea that they might conspire to murder him. Because what you had was Julie just looking like they made a new Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction. <laughs> Wearing the white, the big loose white shirt with the, the, the kind of sweaty, permy hair. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, 80, that's, that's 1989 in a nutshell, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my, my wife actually was fond of pointing out that Julie had what she likes to call eighties, butt. oh, God. Uh, Wait, how, do you, how do you mean? How do you mean? Just like, yeah, high, like, like high it's mostly or... the swimsuit that gives you one, but you have that kind of like flat bottom to the butt. And then the swimsuit kind of makes it look like, I don't know, a pair of tents. Yes. <laughs> okay. Michael's with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fashion back in that period in the late eighties, definitely tended towards even in the, the sort of women's wear tended towards the boxy and sort of, you know, yeah. uh, angular. Yeah, it was, it did weird things to the body, but anyway, um, so yeah, Vanessa's dressed like she's going to a funeral and, uh, <laughs> Louise is dressed so maternally that she looked satirical. Right. And yeah. she, she could not have looked more like a poisoner. Uh-huh. And that scene, I was sure that it was either the three of them were going to do it together or he gets murdered and you actually have to figure out which one did it. One of the uh-huh. rare Columbo whodunits because there were yes. like a couple, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it, w- it would have been kind of good for this because the uh, the obvious answer to that 
plot device is all three of them did it individually. <laughs> right? Although they, I mean, they did have well, that murder. It's like that one ending of Clue, right? Where they all end up being exactly. murderers. I, wasn't that one of the endings of the movie I Clue? I can't think so. It's been I, so long since I've seen that yeah. DHS. So, yeah. <laughs> in the, as intended, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my feeling. I was that that opening was slow the first time, but after that, my mind was just racing. Yeah. Well, okay. you're right. It's 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 Maiden Mother Crone too, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the the the, mater- the the first wife, the maternal, you know, the cook and everything, and then of course his wife who manages the finances. She's dressed in black like a widow, and then obviously you have. Uh, um, I'm forgetting all of their names, which is horrible. But uh, uh, Julie, uh, Julie, I think Julie, right? Yeah, Julie is obviously the young maiden is is uh, part of that triad. Well, it's also the weird thing where the guy cannot; he has to have that separation of those different roles. He cannot yes. have all of that in one person. He may have sort of had that one person with his first wife, or maybe not. It, it's it's very strange how he does not want that to all come together in any way shape or form yeah but he sort of had well actually so i uh, here's my here's my dumb armchair psychology thing he probably had the first wife didn't want that then uh his second wife uh played by uh sure denise vanessa um she was originally a model of his yes. but she had the ambitions to be the the uh, manager the business person he didn't like that so then he had to get somebody else who was just the model again. So he just yep. needs a new model and then casts the other one aside or marries them as soon as they move on to a different role. Because he can't have one person be all of those things at all. He can't have a whole, complete woman. He needs to have segments because he can control people when they're segmented, but not when they're one person and strong enough to uh, be actually worth something to him. It's, it's strange. He's, I mean, a, a, yeah. an Italian artist with a Madonna horror complex? Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. That, that's precisely what it is. Well, and the Italian artist thing, too. And let's let's talk about the bar uh, where his first murder uh, occurred. Which, which is great. of Italians. Exactly. It's, it's, there is no reason uh, for that to be... In, in some city in California, because the entire set is built to be as though it's some sort of odd European thing. And it's manned by John, if you would please tell us who, who owns the bar and what it's the, named. Uh, the beloved, the beloved Vito Scotti, in this episode, playing Vito. Oh, uh, Tony Danza, yes, he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> Vito Scotti, I'm the boss. Um, but yeah, pretty much it's it's... Yeah, Vito Scotti's there. He he owns the bar where um, Barsini and his first wife lived when he was just a, a starving, struggling artist. And I couldn't stop thinking about how that just the arrangement does not work because the weird apartment room where they lived, yeah. the only door into it, and the only the main window to where they lived looks out over a huge two-story wide open bar space that makes no sense that's not a little i just that for some reason i just couldn't get over that but yeah, that, it was that that entire set of sets baffled me as well oh, um God. again i think the idea was supposed to give you that old world mood but and it's they, said it in europe it's in la yes but yeah. here's the thing so they said at some point early in the episode that that Vito's bar was in the oldest part of la Oh, the one that's, that was imported brick by brick from it. 
Italy. Yes. <laughs> well, that's my question. I've never, I've never been to Los Angeles. So is there an old town in L.A. that still has architecture from the mid-19th century or whatever? I don't. Okay, so the thing about that that building is that it looked like a novelty building. It looked like, yeah. you know, in the 1970s, there were all of these, I don't know, these Italian restaurants that were just like stuccoed into place. But, that, sure. but the way that but the way they were that like dressed it, especially their apartment thing, it looked yeah. like it was not that. It, it looked like older. it was yeah, from the from the 15th century. I also don't understand exactly why the apartment was where it is. Yeah, uh, because but, of the story. Yeah, but that's uh, it. I know. To anyway, the point where so yeah. somebody knocks on the door, you have to go down these stairs inside <laughs> the bar to open the front door of the bar after hours to let people in. So yeah, now, some, all and your, sometimes all your... there's dream ghosts. Yeah, those are stream ghosts. Now, all you're talking about is the cons to this place. Now, let's talk about the pros, okay? Right. You've got Vito, and he will bring you food because he's Italian. Right. And Italians like people to eat. We all know this. Of course they do, I, yes. I, I speak yes. about this from personal personal experience. Oh, sure, yes, yeah, sure. So you, so you have basically de facto room service. Vito loves you because you're an artist. You're a struggling artist. So you have that. You've got drinks. Down, you've got food and drinks right there. So... I don't know if you you can't say it's all bad stuff. It's not all minuses. There's at least a few pluses. Right, and also <laughs> all you gotta do, Santa's good side, is is just uh, at his place. Keep away, as he put it, from the white wine with quiche and the high damn tech. And high damn fine. tech. Yes, he's because no, because all the bars, all the bars in the uh, late '90s were all about the high damn tech. I remember going. Yeah, okay, sure. High damn tech. Vito was weird in this episode. Very across weird. the yes. board. Very weird. Uh, he, he seemed to be having a. He might be having an episode. As he's, a he's, he's he's had better Columbo appearances over the series than this one. Uh, like I'm but not I, a big fan of his Taylor. You remember that one? Oh, I remember that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, boy. I think I, I like that better than this. Uh, he's played all the Italian stereotypes. I guess <laughs> uh, um, mortician. Even he was a mortician at one point. Or, uh, yeah. Know. Well, yeah. he. I think this this role made me realize he was also Nazarene the Baker in The Godfather. Oh right, oh, yeah. yes, of course, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's very much in that vein of you know, look at the cake I'm going to make you. It's going to be great. You know that yeah, whole thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was the weird thing about this one is that his accent really confused me because he seemed to just be like doing an uh, like a New York accent, mm. and then but sometimes had the it's a me Mario accent. And my wife and I had a, had a disagreement as what was happening. She thinks he was just playing a first-generation Italian-American, and he only goes full-on Italian when he's stressed out or excited about something. Mm. My theory was that he was trying he, he was trying to do an Italian accent, and then he would do a British accent done by an Italian guy, and then when he got out of it, he was just fucked. <laughs> you know like you when voice actors get into their accents they they usually have like some catchphrases or a little speech they go through and it gets them back into the voice uh. and he he was doing his italian and then he did that will you drink it down the hatch old boy which is a confusing accent to yeah about. and i think he came out of that just like i'm out i have to skate the rest of the way home you know, speaking of um, strange uses of Italian accents, have either of you ever seen that viral video that went around of uh, a guy in Italy trying to sing English, but it was like 
like fake English basically. And so he's trying, he's making up all these fake words and phonemes that sound kind of like American English. No, I, 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 I have not seen this. Yeah, it, it's really bizarre. So basically it's like him doing like a stereotype accent, but in it's in nonsense Italian basically, but he's trying to sound exactly like an American rock star. It's a fascinating video. I don't know how you would search for it, but try to put some combination of those terms in. It's a very strange sort of, linguistic uh phenomenon you should check it out cool <laughs> i'll put it up on the tumblr there you go um, um sorry, I, I have i'm uh, the question i usually like to ask in this one or uh, with any episode really is uh, and for this one it's a, there's a reason i'm asking but at what point do you think colombo nailed barsini as the killer i don't know but i do have it written down as the exact i have uh, the exact moment written down when I think that Barsini decides he's going to kill her. Oh, okay. Oh. When they're talking... And actually, uh, leading up to this, uh, let's talk about uh, the wonderful character actor George Coe, who plays the, um, yeah. the psychologist-slash-boyfriend <laughs> in this of uh, the first wife. He is wonderful and sad and great. Uh, that's who she is going to finally... Uh, leave Barsini for and just kind of move in with this guy because she's happy with him, more scared with him. But there's that fight that he has with her, uh, Barsini has with um, uh, Louise, Louise. and uh, where she just kind of says, oh, what, you, or you'll do to me what you did to, and and uh, Bashao does this great, there's this look on his face where you're just like, oh, that's where he figures out what he has to do. Yeah, and his I agree. whole attitude changes, and the way he looks at her—it was just a really nice bit of acting, and kind of chilling. And you know, like, oh god, she's dead. She, yeah, that's yeah. it. It's over. So that—that's the only like turning point I wrote down. I didn't—I didn't note anything for Columbo, but that was yeah, like right. stuck with me and was creepy. Yeah, and obviously Barsini's like uh, suspicion extends to Dr. Hammer at that point. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, right. what has she oh, told yeah. him? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. I do want to talk about George Coe real quick. Cause at this point in 89, he would have just been coming off his, um, two seasons of the Max Headroom TV series, which I love. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot about that. He was, yes. the, he was the good boss. Yeah. 23. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot him being, Oh, that's wonderful. I completely yeah. forgot about him being in there. Yes. Good role, great show, oh, obviously. Unquestionably, you know, yes. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, this would have been right after that. Wow, uh, Yeah, and I think right. he was a good job. I, I think he, when you said sad, that was great, because I actually found him kind of sleazy. Oh, really? Um, well, you know, because he's dating a former patient, obviously. He's giving up her tapes. You know, that kind of breaks privilege. Well, I, I, I mean, know they, because he wants, he wants, he could never crack the code, and he wants to know yeah, what happened to her. Crack the code, that's right. <laughs> but... But he does, he comes across yeah it's a great little it's an it's a nuanced performance I, I think well, it, it's I, yeah. the better best ones in the, the best part is uh, the last time you see him uh, where he actually is uncomfortable about all of this mm-hmm. and he talks to Columbo uh, there at the seashore and helps Columbo figure out what happened with his dog biting right. him and Columbo <laughs> leaves and and Co just has this very sort of like weird pause he's like well. Uh, Keep in touch. At Columbo's back, as because he just seemed and that he just seems like a very lonely, sad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I perceived him as desperate to be loved. Yeah. Mm. Oh no. Yes. And yes. Honestly, I the thing that made me think that was when Barsini caught him leaving Louise's house, mm-hmm. and he jumps in the car window basically and is 
talking to him in an incredibly threatening manner. And Co takes it. Yeah. Really, really softly. And he doesn't even make the connection that, I mean, how, how quickly would you have figured it out? My crazy Italian artist ex-husband lives right next door and he's <laughs> jealous and possessive. And then uh, an Italian crazy dude pops into your car when you're in your girlfriend's driveway. I would have figured it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he takes a long time. Um, I just I just think he treats every human interaction as an opportunity to uh, be approved of. Which that's good for a psychologist. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at that scene, actually, when Columbo oh. comes to the psych- psychologist's office. Co hits the couch. Oh, like right. They, I love that. Yeah, I love that switch that nice during touch. that scene. Yeah. Where, yeah. So Columbo actually has his pad out, and he's analyzing George yeah. Co. Yeah. It's very... Great it's, scene, by the way. Great scene. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of... I mean, all throughout the series, and this episode, a lot. There, there's a lot of kind of mentions of how expert of a psychologist Columbo is and right. sort of it gets thinking about, well, you know, could he have been anything else? Could, did he have to be a policeman? Did he have to be a detective? Could he have been a psychologist? Could he have been a good psychologist? Some people say that bartenders are also amateur psychologists and you mm-hmm. have a big interaction between him and uh, uh, Vito at a couple of crucial times in the episode as well. It's kind of interesting kind of looking at these, uh, uh, you know, these uh, sort of ancillary characters kind of through the lens of, well, Columbo can kind of mirror people's personalities and kind of figure out what they're all about. That's a very good point. Uh, he does do that frequently, like fabricating or maybe uh, fabricating is a terrible word, but um, it, it promptly developing complementary interests to his targets. Yes, yes. Hmm. Okay. Usually it's usually it's through flattery. It's really directly with the murderer. But he will, when he's talking to witnesses, he will find a way to sort of uh, introduce himself to their interest or their area of expertise, but in a subordinate manner, so he's not a threat. Actually, mm. oddly enough, I I can't remember the specific sequence or the specific uh, thing, but I've got written down related to that in my notes using the flattery artist routine Bilko type. And I think it was, he was talking huh. to Barsini mm. and trying to like, Oh, sir, it's great. Hey, how's it doing? Oh, your art is wonderful. I, Oh, didn't mean to do. I think all the questions, they just yeah, popped right out. Yeah. I think head, he, I think he's got, yeah. So there's, I think there, yeah, I wrote that down because there's a scene where Columbo does that to Barsini and is just trying to steamroll him a little bit and get the mm. other stuff in there. Yeah. That, it, it would, actually, yeah, sorry, but uh, that's where I, I thought Columbo figured it out. Because and that he laughs after Barsini offers to paint him. Yeah. And I, uh, I took it as Columbo's not laughing because he's flattered. He's laughing at, holy crap, this guy just delivered himself into my hands. Oh, that's <laughs> that's why I wrote it down. It's Barsini pulling that in Columbo. That's what right. that is. OK, mm. now it's the other way. Got it. All right. Also, just for a moment, let's enjoy the idea of Phil Silvers playing Columbo. That would be wonderful. <laughs> oh my god! At the very least, at the very least, at some uh, kind of like a summer stage sort of regional uh, theater thing, he might have done it. Or one off, thing, just off one, Broadway, one tiny little, little minuscule. It's not even a thing in its way. It's not even. And just and just just playing it way too broad, hamming it up. The thing closed yeah. after three performances because it just didn't work. <laughs> He yeah, wouldn't this, is leave. Probably, this is probably a good time. <laughs> it's probably a good time to talk about Peter Falk as an artist, right? As a visual artist, because oh, yeah. you know he he's obviously got. Um, I, I think a bunch of his sketches were on uh, uh, um, on exhibit. Uh, boy, probably about 
like late aughts, early teens, something like that. I remember reading a story about his sort of life's work in visual art being put up. Uh, yeah, it's um, you know it was introduced to the world as I understand it through Wings of Desire. Oh right, yeah. Oh yeah. All of a sudden, it was discovered that Peter Falk was an actual artist, and you know I. Th- Actually, I was going to say this is a universal thing, but it might just be me. You know, there's that distrust of when a film suggests that somebody you know for having a particular talent has an unrelated one. And you get a little skeptical, like, oh, that was just for the story. Someone must have drawn that. Nope. That dude's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, usually, you hear, like, with music, with that, too. Like, oh, that person didn't actually play that. It's funny. Oh, no, they're actually, they learned how to play the piano for this thing, or they just do that. And yeah, they just integrate in there somehow. It's not often, but when it does, it is very surprising because you think, oh, okay, whatever. So when it is, it feels a bit like, oh, good for them. You get a warm feeling for a celebrity. <laughs> Actually, I kind of do. It's it's nice, particularly like later in life. When oh, you're yeah, I can see that, that, yeah. What is it? Is Ringo Paints, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is sweet, He's right? He's got to do something, yeah. <laughs> probably play drums if you yeah. wanted to but he was uh, for a while yeah. oh not even the best drummer in the Beatles voice you threw in there too that's nice <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did my point I did my part hey go. uh we should I mean I really really want to uh at this point bring up how Actually, no, I won't. I won't lead you to say how good or how bad they were, but the three actresses in this episode each turned in, I thought, really intriguingly different performances. I thought oh, this yeah. was of, of her appearances in the series. I thought this was probably Shira Denise's best. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, think I, this I was kind her of best part. I wanted to watch the scenes with with her and Peter Falk to kind of just get it. They they didn't they they kind of I, I think intentionally didn't give them a ton of screen time together. But yeah. I liked watching them bounce off each other. I, I I don't think I've seen her in any other episodes. This is my first exposure to her as an actress, and mm. I, I think they picked a character type that kind of suited her. Um, you know, very kind of brassy and bold, and I get the sense that's kind of her personality too, from what I've read. Yeah, it, yeah, it, she she seemed. Yeah, she had a lot of control over uh, I would say the, the timber and the bitterness of her voice. Mm. That was just really compelling, and I had a you know, a lot of great fun lines too. Yes. Well, <laughs> well and even the the uh, the the youngest uh, woman, Ma, uh, Julie, um, Julia, yeah. that could have been a very one note thing, but I think she that actress did a very good job with that too. Especially uh, that scene where she and uh, Vanessa Sheridan is kind of. Uh, bond and join together in the um, drinking the, the, vodka in the sauna. Yeah, yeah, drink yeah. vodka in the sauna and realize, hey, this guy's a creep and a jerk, and decide <laughs> yeah. they've got that in common, and they just need to get the hell out of there. Now that uh, being said, the scene, the cat fight scene with the two of them didn't work for me at all. No, I think it was no, was because was... It, it it kind of lowered itself to the to the uh, sort of level of um, you know cliche, you know. And I think you're right; they earn that beat later on where they do bond because it seems much more natural there than that sort of early scene with the two of them, you know, doing the Alexis and uh, Crystal. Uh, right. I was just going to say <laughs> Dynasty. I flip over to Dynasty to see that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that that also has my favorite bit in the entire episode, which of course is, uh, you think that's bad? I'm a double orphan. Oh God! 
Uh, where Shira Denise tries to one-up Julie right. being an orphan. It, <laughs> her delivery, though, on the last line, where she just kind of lets it hang after she's mentioned both of her sets of her parents died. And then she just looks distantly at nothing and goes, so, double orphan. In that really definitive <laughs> mic dropping. <Yeah. laughs> just She had not quite gotten the sympathy she wanted. And I think she maybe didn't realize maybe she didn't want any. Right, and yeah. so she just had to deal with that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> but likewise, in the, in the cat fight earlier on, I, there was another line I truly love, but it was only because of, uh, I've forgotten her name because it's a little tricky, Isabel Garcia Loca's yeah. uh, pronunciation and emphasis on the line, you're a street walker with an adding machine. <laughs> that, that was a little <laughs> bit, uh, the way you said it, it was a little bit uh, Tommy Wiseau-ish. It was. Yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, th- those words were not well chosen for that act. <laughs> no. <laughs> So you think we should adjust uh, this in the script today? Like, no, no, keep it as is. You sure? Because she's oh, all right, fine. Yeah, you got to no, You got to say it that way. Okay. Do you, uh, you want to keep a barefoot tootsie in the script, even though that sounds awful? <laughs> yeah, 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 let's keep barefoot tootsie. It's the name of my kid's band. He wanted me to put it in there. <laughs> and so, then, uh, lastly, we've got Julie, who's a uh, Fianola Flanagan. Fianola. Yeah, I think it's Fianola. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's Fianola. such a weird name. Fianola. Which, this was a performance, the first time around, I had a lot of trouble dealing with because it was so soap opery. Mm-hmm. But, you I know don't what? Say so. Yeah, I don't think so. Not to, well, I, I, uh, I, that's how I felt anyway, but I do feel that she's a perfect match for Bacow's, Bacow's like, hyper-manic sort of production. Oh my god, John. Yes? You know why it's like that? Why is it like that? Because it is a soap opera. Oh, oh a, did Columbo come to kill it? That's right. It's a soap opera, John. Oh. That went off the rails. <clears throat> but you can't... Uh, there you go. There it is. Opera, <laughs> a soap opera doesn't go off the rails if one character kills another. That's why they are there. I, so so I think there's really two Flanagan performances here, because there's her before she dies, and there's her in the dream sequences. Oh, right, so, yes. Which we really do have to talk about, because... Yeah, you know what? Let, let's talk about the dream sequences. Those are a big part of this. I think there are too many of them. I think they often go on too long, but I think they're, yeah, if there had been fewer of them and if there had been less of that, it would have been a bit better. But yeah, let's talk about that a bit. Well, I mean, I I just think visually what they reminded me of is all of those. Remember those perfume ads in the late 80s right around this time? (laughs) Yeah. Like the obsession, Calvin Klein, really Mm -hmm. abstract stuff happening in a monochrome environment. Like they they were, again, like both with fewer naked asses. Yes. Right, right, right. Nobody, you know, swinging on swings through like black petals of roses that are like falling from the sky. (laughs) I, 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 this is where where I was talking about that swing between actual kind of interesting drama and camp kind of comes to the fore because you can't do dream sequences without having, without having a little bit of a wink nod kind of, we know this is ridiculous kind of thing happening. And yet, like, the, some of the imagery actually was really kind of, you know, maybe Hitchcockian sort of in the sense that it was, it built suspense and, and kind of like, it's a dream. So you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It could be anything, but you know, cleavers and like, you know, watches in front of eyes and like, all (laughs) like I didn't find the wordplay stuff very convincing. And I found it simplistic, but the the visuals actually, some of them were actually kind of, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of creepy. Well, and also the, the, the parts of it when they actually pulled, um, 
Barsini and Columbo sitting in their same positions, but onto that set of the bar, yeah. but in black and white. I thought that was really interesting, and that was a really good way to tie it. That actually, but I I just felt like there was too much of it. They went back to it too many times. I think I would have felt that same way if it weren't for the last time when we find that as um, as Louise goes upstairs to find uh, Barsini you know, in the apartment or to chase Barsini as he runs into the apartment and they pass Columbo and Barsini painting and they're oh. now up in the apartment. That was enough of dream of a dream logics type scene that I accepted those hmm. uh, scenes a lot better. There is one thing, however, that, that was a little troubling um, <laughs> in the dream sequence, which is, you know, she, she recovers a piece of meat that has been thrown into the sink Right, because okay. it's wriggling, and she pulls back the paper, and it's a human hand. Oh, and they, <laughs> you could see... oh! Here's here's some eyeballs. They're actually right? grapes, peeled yeah. grapes. They oh, put your hand in the brains, the cold brains. And the, uh, I, I even drew a little diagram. I'll put it up on the Tumblr of how okay, you could not show the whole hand, and <laughs> it would still be scary. Uh, so that was a bit of a mistake. But the rest of it, I was actually very fond of. I thought the wordplay was amateurish, but you know this is what NBC on um, some o'clock at night. I think it's a, 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 ABC Sunday night's even worse. Oh, back ABC in the late eighties. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, it's so, worse than NBC. You know, Columbo in, in some of the episodes are still fantastic, of course, and Falk is still great, and a lot of the actors are still great. Yes, but the nineties episodes were in a lot of ways nostalgia acts. So this, yeah, you, yeah. you simplify. And one thing, and, and Columbo Falk being great, this one especially for these uh, late-era ones, um, actually has uh, Columbo doing some really good, dogged investigative work. Like, I thought that yes. stuff was actually very good in this, rather than just relying on, oh, it's your beloved Uncle Columbo doing the same stuff he did in the 1970s. No, he was actually doing the work, uh, putting the time in, and actually trying to play uh, the mental games back and forth with the killer. Uh, so I thought that that stuff was actually done really well in this. You know what this, I realized? This is actually the... I've done two episodes with you guys. Yeah. And this one also has a sync-related revelation, just like the one with Patrick McGowan and Bruno Kirby. <laughs> you know, or a bath... You know what I mean? Like yeah. a... Oh. You know, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what is this trend? What does it mean? I, I don't I know, know what it means, but it's, you know... You can go to the. It, it's reliable. You go into the bathroom to the sink and, and or, or or something like that, and you're yeah. you know plumbing is just a it, it, it it's it's just a wonderland for 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 detective work. Basically. Well, if if George Went uses a sink or toilet extensively in that episode, maybe we'll have you back uh... for a final one. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, God, I, guess I hope just not that one. <laughs> no, it's uh... they're kind. There kind of is. Kind there of. is. I haven't seen yeah. it. Oh, jeez. Sort really. of. Sort of. Kind of. I wow. wouldn't. I... Maybe not well, he goes into a bathroom once in the episode. I... It, he does go into Actually, a bathroom. Actually, it's 20 minutes of George Went uh, using the toilet. Straining. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> no, that's he, after going a... to the hungry heifer, yeah. <laughs> there is a scene where uh, George Went's character goes into a bathroom. Don't spoil it for me. I've never seen it. <laughs> it is a pivotal scene, so you called it. Oh, so God. So we'll see what happens. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. That's bizarre. Um, but, I mean, there was preponderance <laughs> of evidence because once you get... Once you get the lab boys' evidence back, I mean it's pretty much yeah. a fait accompli at that point. But like he's got the he's got the Barzini trademark red, he's got the 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 sink, he's got 
the 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 hidden canvas. I mean, he's got all the. I mean, it, it's burying Barzini at that point. It's right. it's showing off. Obviously, that's that's the thing. I mean, I I I know most of these murderers are just like they're they're sort of trademarked by their ego, right? Like they 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 know they can get away with it. They feel like they can spar with this slovenly detective. It's 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 part of the trope of Columbo. But like I I don't know. Like there's something about I I really liked. Falk and um, Bachau's like interaction uh, quite a bit, yes. and even though a lot of the revelations and the clues were a little bit, you know, again hammer you over the head, and the dream sequences didn't always work, I wanted to see more of those two just kind of sparring. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I think the the, the scenes where they're just talking back and forth when uh, he's just posing for the painting, yeah, those were actually quite good. Yeah, I like those. yeah. My question would be, why do you think Columbo wanted to spar with this guy? Because he pegged him pretty quick. Sure. Well, I think he had huh? to. Yeah. He had to wait until he got everything in place and was sure, which Columbo doesn't always do that. But sure. in this yeah. case, he had to, yeah, wait until the lab things came back. He had to wait to figure out exactly that he knew what was up with the uh, vetoes, with the painting and everything. I think yeah. that's. I think he wanted to make sure he had everything set up. And, and yep. Vito's Plus actually... Oh, free portrait, right? Exactly. Which, <laughs> it was okay. His art's all right, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's me. Um, yeah, by the way, there's that pan through the through the studio uh, at the beginning of the episode, and apparently this guy's a freaking polymath because there's everything in that studio. Right. <laughs> but um, they, they set up later in the episode how none of the... There's that signature red that Barsini uses, yeah. but never in nudes, which they only say because none of the Vixen paintings have any red in them whatsoever. Uh, Neither does anything else. Well, they... If you go uh, back and watch the panel mm. in the studio, that color is not used in any other piece except a portrait that Geber, who I believe is the name of the the uh, studio art director, right, uh, painted for this. That's the only. It's a self portrait of Barsini. It's the only thing that has any red in it. Well, There's it, no his signature red is missing from every does, single painting in there. Is there some in the uh, painting of Vito's? Not yes. that I can remember. Well, yeah, yeah the it, was, it, was, okay. it was very. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, actually, Tony, I have but... a I have a whole wandering bit here about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was I was writing about how it was a trusting choice for the show to use the signature red before it was explained. Uh, so you really get that at the same time that you see the painting and you see Vito's red tablecloths. And I was wondering huh. if Vito's red tablecloths are where the red comes from originally in the character backstory, oh. because of course he would see it every day when he left oh. his little apartment. Maybe. I like that. Yeah, plus, plus there's the, the centrality of sort of, you know, blood and murder and sort of that whole thing. It's right. like it's like you have a stain on you that you can't wash off and it's kind of finding its way and seeping its way into all of his work and all of his paintings, you know. Well, that's very it's very Macbethian because he's looking down from yeah. his apartment every day and seeing this concrete floor just covered with little red dots. Dots, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe. Yeah. We're getting somewhere. Uh, speaking of uh, <laughs> floors covered with things, so, uh, let's, let's say when had Barsini and his first wife lived there at Vito's? 70s? 60s? Probably 60s? 60s, sure, 60s. Yeah. yeah. So, from the 60s to the uh, late <laughs> 80s, uh, Vito's has always had a dirt floor in the basement and never had to have any work done whatsoever in a bar, in a restaurant, at all. Never any work done in the basement at all. <laughs> to see that someone had dug it up at some point in the 1960s and buried... A British corpse there. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you know, if if I'm if I'm to led to believe like right, like basements back in the sixties and seventies were just full of dead bodies. Like everywhere. Oh, well, yeah, you know, like like you know, on Long Island where like, you know, the uh, the the Henry Hill crew was at, or yes. John Wayne Gacy. Like everybody had bodies in the basement oh, back. Certainly. Then. Why yes. you have a dirt floor? Yeah, it's exactly. Dirt. Why we else a, would you? We had a what they called a body crash, and that was just a little bricked off area, and you could just put three, four bodies in there at once. Whew. Yeah, there, there, very efficient. And uh, uh, where I come from, there's a Michigan basement, uh, where yeah, it's the same thing pretty much. It's yeah. it's. Well, the, the floor is concrete, but the walls are dirt. So you dig into those to shove the corpses uh, in. So that's uh, what that's for. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm not so shocked that that Vito has not had any work done in the basement because Vito has also not cleaned out that apartment in 40 years. <laughs> yes, it's like you you had. Why don't the fuck so, I leave it a goddamn a jar of cilantro here? For it's it's obvious years. to him he could rent that out and have another revenue stream, but he never <laughs> did it again after Barsini's wife left and became famous. It's like, dude, you could go to the local art school, say like, "Hey, Max Barsini, you lived here. Hey, it's a, a hundred bucks a month. Come on, you could have totally have done that." He's not a yeah, smart businessman. Like, put like four art students in that thing. Exactly. <laughs> that that uh, that uh, bathroom alone would be a thousand dollar a month uh, little uh, studio apartment in New York City. Hey, hey everybody, what a better cliche thing. Huh. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at my notes just to probably wind things up. Uh, left. We have another appearance or use of uh, lieutenant for lieutenant, which is always fun. Oh, to yes. hear from European yes. characters on Colombo. I um, think about Barcini now that I think about him. He's kind of got a Germanic, maybe a Germanic accent. Maybe he's from, maybe he's Swiss. Maybe he's Northern Italian or something like uh, that. Uh, I see the Swiss Alsace Lorraine. Oh, okay. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> So yeah, like Italian last name, right? Yeah, he's sort of a cosmopolitan. He's he's a, he's a man of he's man of Europe at this point, right? Um, <laughs> oh, there's a line I like too. Uh, somebody said, "But you like doing homicide, Lieutenant?" Oh, sure, why not? It's nice, clean work. I thought that was yeah, really fun yeah, the, the, those robbery guys got to deal with all kinds of horrible stuff. Exactly. But, well, also we, we get like uh, Columbo actually referencing working with a DA, which is not something. That you ever yeah. hear him talk about in the series, which I thought was kind of an interesting admission. I mean, do you think that the the TV uh, the TV police procedural had come so far since they had first gone off the air? They had to inject a little more, maybe not realism, but sort of like, oh, there's stuff outside of you know the the one detective and the one murder suspect. You're gonna accept that there's a world of you know forensics and DAs and everything else because Hill Street Blues did it. You know, oh, that kind of that's. That's you know me. Idea. I like to bring in my TV history. So. No, no. I mean that's <laughs> because usually you in in like the seventies ones you would just see them to the extent that they're at the crime scene, cleaning things up or investigating things, or he'd kind of get pressure for some sort of uh, um, higher up or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. These these later ones, there was a bit more of him going to see a DA or talking about going to a DA or, um. Yeah, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe that is. I never thought about that before. Yeah. John, what do you think about that? I think that's a that's a really good. Yeah, I'm kind of processing it because yeah, I know. 1970s, Same here. Yeah, but in the 1970s, you're 
police dramas were usually, if you had a detective drama, if you were doing, dealing with officers for the most part, mm-hmm. you had one character right. who was leading the whole show. If you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, uniformed officers or uh, just, I don't know what to call a police officer who was in them. Anyway. Yeah. You'd have two, yeah. three, four. Right. Botchko comes in with Hill Street Blues, right? And he kind of revolutionizes that. You see everybody and up and sudden, down, yeah. Yeah, you've just got this huge sta- uh, cast of characters. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't doubt it because we're, we're getting more and more realistic. Columbo, bless its heart, is an incredibly unrealistic detective show. Right. I mean, 90% of this is impossible. Like, physics prevents this from happening. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a really fascinating idea. I think it's probably correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but there's this great... Oh, we bit. never do that. <laughs> there's this great bit in the novel Infinite Jest where there's this like you know high school report about what what the difference is between the cop of the 70s on TV and the cop of the 80s and the two examples they use are uh, McGarrett from Hawaii Five-0 is mm-hmm. the 70s cop he's got a jutting jaw he you know he he's the man in charge everything revolves around him and then you got Frank Furillo in the 80s and he's got to deal with you know other cops and the DA's office and public defenders and the world is complicated and it's not black and white anymore and i like the idea of columbo having to kind of like reorient himself i mean you know i know you guys have talked about the 80s and 90s episodes as being you know uh you know they've got sort of like these kind of maybe over the top villains and they kind of you know go a little further than the 70s ones but i think there's a difference there's a slight difference in how how they kind of reflect that reality you were talking about or lack of it mm-hmm. right like how they had to think about putting the show together when they came back after that 20 year break or so, like the entire environment was different with how these yes. kind of mm-hmm. stories are told on television. Oh yeah, no, that, that's a, well, I mean, even at the end he's got him, but to me it seemed a little ambiguous as to whether or not he would be convicted at trial. Like, like their discussion <laughs> of it at the end seemed a little sort of like, well, I've got this evidence and this evidence and this evidence, but they kind of leave it at, well, it wouldn't be 100% when it goes to trial. And they hardly ever address that part of it in Columbo. He just, he's got them, and there you go. We've talked about that uh, mm-hmm. many times on this podcast about, will this person go? Who knows? But this, they actually do talk about it, how, well, I'll have to see how it goes when it actually goes to court. And that that's very rarely ever addressed at the end of one of these episodes. Yeah. Which I thought yeah, was interesting, too. That- there's a lot of differences between 70s and 90s, and they are cultural by and mm. large. There's some technology distinctions and just how art tends to move when it's in the public consciousness. But uh, to my mind, <clears throat> the I'm so sorry to cough right into the microphone. How dare uh, you? You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm leaving. Uh, but it's the it's the class relationships that changed most dramatically for me. And uh, I think it, it's a post-Dynasty, post-Dallas situation where – you know, they changed the landscape of television that glamour was sort of to be allowed. Now that we were post All in the Family and post Jefferson's and post uh, Good Times and such, now we were allowed to once again just fill TV with people in tuxedos. And hmm. it was easier back in the 70s to maintain the common guys are the good guys, rich guys are the bad guys. Um, with the bad guys in the 70s, what made them so bad wasn't that they were trying to get away with murder exactly. It was that they didn't do the thing that rich people were supposed to do, which was be the best possible example. Mm. You right. know, they descend, they descended from their responsibilities and that's why Columbo would kind of swoop in and be there to punish them. By the nineties, we don't have expectations of rich people. 
by 89, uh, yeah, you've got this Italian artist who's ruining the lives of three women just to satisfy in, uh, uh, an unfulfilled emotional toolkit that he possesses. That's not really breaking any rich people rules, is it? No, but I mean, for him, no. well... Not by nine. I mean, no, but he's also he's using his his fame as an excuse to be able to behave in this way too. His fame and his wealth say like, oh, I can do this because I'm this guy because I'm the great Max Barsini, so I don't have to grow. I can still not have to change any single thing about my life. I can just keep it. I've I've earned and bought the privilege to be able to just keep things the status quo where I never answer for yeah. the one murder I committed 30 years ago. I can exactly. keep every single woman that's ever been in my life around me because, hey, I'm Max Barsini. I can just pay, get, you know, still do these paintings, get paid to do it and be famous and live the way I've always had to live and never have to change, ever. And then... Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you could be a Colombo bad guy and commit a crime of passion, but this guy no. is, a, is a double murder. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. got a track record of being completely callous, you know, yeah. and, and his soul, I think his motivation is to just keep things exactly as they are, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And the, the one time he went out of that was killing this British guy, presumably because the guy had ripped him off on some painting sales. Yeah. And then after that, he got successful, got successful, got successful and just wanted to not ever change anything or grow or progress. And that's it. And it is, yeah, the, his art kind of reflects that away too, what you see of it, I think, because it all seems very much the same. Yeah, mm. it's very timid to be discussed in the the glorious tones that it is in the episode. And this yeah. might be another Studio sixty situation where we should have seen very few of these paintings. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. Oh man, that's God damn it. That's a good way to put it. Oh, <laughs> that's an excellent way to put it. Studio yeah. sixty is the handiest metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, we're brilliant. We're doing brilliant comedy. It's the most brilliant comedy. Well, let's see some of that. Hey, here's a Gilbert yeah. and Sullivan parody. Oh, my God. Oh, my All God. right. Okay, kids. Good luck. <laughs> Reset that clock for next week. There you go. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, actually, yeah, the fear of, of change might be a really good motivation for Barsini. Yeah. Uh, because if the body is discovered, then, yeah, that that exposes everything. And that ruins everything he's built. He will lose every single piece of it. However, he does let um, Vanessa and Julie just run out. He just yells after them a little and they're gone. Because he, has, mm. he has, doesn't have enough time to process. Because and, and one of my favorite scenes is there's this huge fight, this huge screaming fight. And then two seconds later, uh, Columbo comes out from upstairs. <laughs> oh. oh, is this a bad time? <laughs> Which... It's one of my favorite Columbo impositions of the 90s ones. I'm it's, ready it's, if yeah. you are. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. That was, okay, so this got me started on a really dumb thing because there were three dream scenes, right? Yep. And be, watching that, the last scene, Columbo is on the top of the stairs and he does the, you know, have we? Uh, I'm here for my last sitting or whatever. Prior to that, he just walked in the front door, I believe. And prior to that, he came in, from the balcony that overlooks the ocean. So as we were going through the dream sequences, we had Columbo representing the sea, the land, and the oh. air. Oh. Maybe. Uh, time of day changed. The first one was in the morning. Second was the middle of the day. Last one was at night. There's all these like like uh, mythic uh, trinities going on in this episode. There's, between that and the maiden mother crone. Yeah. Right. This is, and it's uh, one of those. I, I dig this. 
it's that kind of situation where you think like, oh, is that it, or are, are we ascribing giving them too much credit? But you know, you don't know. There's no way to uh, yeah, know. This no. episode, in a lot yeah. of ways, was really overwritten. I think in a delightful way, for the most part. It's very baroque, but isn't it? It's it is absolutely. Fine. You're not me. I'm not even me. Right? It's, it's it yeah. Weird. Was it, doesn't he say something like God isn't me or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Uh, Telling tell people rubbish. You belong to me. It's just very. You have a delectable right? soul. Actually, I like the score. I, I wrote that down, too. I like the score in this quite a bit. I thought that was yeah. actually really well done. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. Well, you know what? Let, let's start uh, wrapping things up. I think I have a feeling I know which way people are going to lean on this. Um, uh, Michael, uh, start with you. Overall, how would you feel about this thing and, and the, the few club-ups that you've seen? Uh, where would you put it in there? Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, nothing's going to match being able to do what by Dawn's early light. I mean, that one was just you know, obviously peerless. <laughs> that's, that's an awfully um, good episode. Yes, it, it, yeah. it was. Um, I, I mean, again, like I think we covered it. It's it, it sort of like if this was made 20 years later, it could have had so much more depth. The fact that it's a it, it strays the line to being a, a bit laughable in spots, I think, is okay. Um, there were some great performances. The visuals again kind of went back and forth across that line, but there were some that are ni- like nicely stuck in my head. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up there. I don't know what kind of scale you want me to rank it on, but I, oh, no. I, I what's that? Oh, that's John's thing. So yeah, he'll, <laughs> he'll start he'll start crying. I, don't uh, I will you don't absolutely have to, you don't not have to take. Me. I will absolutely not take that. But no, it, it it was a good episode. Good, not great. Let's just say that. Yeah, I can't argue with a single thing you said. I think you said if it had been made 20 years later. I think. Uh, this actually would have been an interesting 70s episode. Uh, this oh. had come up then. I think that something really interesting could have been done with it then. Um, but yeah, no, it's... it's I, I was surprised how much I liked it the second time I saw it uh, compared to the first time. Because I had this bad taste in my mouth from when I saw it probably about a year or two ago. And so going into watching it, I thought, oh, well, I gotta do this. All right, ready to take notes. And then as I'm watching, I'm like, oh no, this is actually kind of interesting and strange. And yeah, there's parts that work really, really well, and there's parts where you feel like, eh, they could have held back somewhat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I was surprised how much I liked it. Um, as the uh, latter Columbo episodes go, I'd say this is one of the better ones, which in a way that's damning with faint praise, but uh, no, there are some pretty good late era ones. And I think this is definitely one of them. John. Yes, sir. Uh, So I did end up watching this five times, which I think implies that I I liked it quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah. I would say the more I I watched it. Yeah. (laughs) You better, you better hope so. Um, It is a weird episode. It is a very atypical Columbo episode. The dream sequences and how much they drove the plot was kind of astonishing. I felt a little gobsmacked. It was like watching, um, uh, oh no, I've forgotten what the weird one, Last Salute to the Commodore. Mm. Oh, really? In that that it was just, it did something that was so unpredictable and bizarre and kind of uh, distasteful just in the sense of, this is really going a, a far afield of what Columbo has tended to be, mm. you know, but I love it because there's only one of these. If there had been a second episode like this with a protracted dream sequence and a 20 minute dog party at the beginning of it, 
and everybody yeah. talking like <clears throat> just comic book maniacs and a weird scene with an impassive beach patrol in the middle of it for no oh, reason. Oh god, I forget about those dudes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, such a weird dude. Yeah. But <laughs> and then apparently all this like trinity structures just assemble all around it. If there had been two of those, I'd hate this. Mm. Because it's not structurally in the history of Columbo, it's not as compelling as a Columbo episode. I, I mean when you put it like that, it seems like there's a lot of filler in this, but it didn't yeah. feel like while I was no, watching it didn't. Yeah, I, I I literally the first time I was taking notes and it started off, like I say, really negative. My my wife and I both were not really enjoying it the first time. And then about halfway through the episode, I stopped taking notes because I was really getting involved. Hmm. So every of us, every time I've watched it after that, I'm I'm getting more and more engrossed in this. And that's what happens with Last Salute to the Commodore. Uh, it's what happened with Any Old Port in a Storm, which is another weird one. It's not a crazy one. But it's a little strange. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like as a singular example of a thing you can do with Columbo, it's great. As a Columbo episode in general, again, we say this, I think, with a lot of them, that I would never show this to somebody first. Oh, good yeah. Lord, no. Good. This oh, would heavens, be, not. No, no, yeah, no, no. This would no, be your 15th no. or 16th Columbo. Yes. If you were going to see him. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would give it... Uh, and forgive my pronunciation. Uh, this is a tough one. Huitonkle. Huitonkle. Monocle. That's eight uncles. Okay. Way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> of course. Out of how? Out of how many? Was it more than ten? Out of, or out of ten? Out of ten. Out of, okay. Out of dix uncles. No. There you go. Yes. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, Anybody uh, else noticed that the French uncle was dressed like Sam Kinison, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> that door opened, and I just expected, ah! Oh, wait, which French uncle? Which one? Oh. In the dream. Yeah. Yeah. That's... <laughs> the dream. Watch were... it. I would say if you're listening to this podcast, you love Columbo, but you stick to the 70s because oh, sure. they're safer. Sure, sure. Yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah. Give it a shot. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. This this in the Shatner. Yes. Yes. Definitely. No, no question. Um, well, Mr. Grasso, thank you for doing this again, uh, joining us back uh, one more time. Uh, it's we, a ton we, of fun. We, well, thank you, and it's been fun having you on. But uh, we, we talked a bit about, at the top of the program, uh, where, uh, well, what you're doing, where people can find you. Uh, if you could remind folks again where they should be going to see what you're doing online these days. Absolutely. Come and check out wearethemutants.com, or we're on Twitter at We Are The Mutants. We are a magazine of Cold War... Uh, a cult, pulp, sci-fi, fantasy, uh, movies, TV, technology. We cover it all. If it was between the uh, uh, end of World War II and the fall of the Berlin Wall, it's our uh, territory. So That's a good we, tagline. I like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll go there to check that out. John, uh, what do you have coming out and going around? We've It's been a while since we've done this, so I figure there's yeah. something coming up. Uh, yeah. Don't make me look like a chump. Don't make me look like a chump. (laughs) Well, my new album of scat music is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for giving us that little preview there. That was lovely. Yeah, that's a that's a song I like to call Starry Night. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I do have that on your CompuServe website. Sorry, yeah. (laughs) The uh, MySpace.com. My the third edition of the third volume of my of my League of Regrettable series is coming out. Oh, I don't know. 
if it'll be announced yet. Oh. Um, I know it just went to the printer oh. yesterday. Oh, and, and what it's what what's this one again? If you can say, or would you rather not? Oh, yeah, I think I've been saying it over and over. It's sidekicks. We got sidekicks, right? Sidekicks. Oh man, henchmen, stuff like that. Neat. And yeah. uh, uh, same designer, same kind of thing. People have enjoyed the last two yes. ones and all that stuff. Oh, good because I, yeah. I, I, it's really nice to just the build of the thing, the design of it. it it's it's a lovely series. Good. I really love how it came out. I think they did a fantastic job. Excellent. That's that's wonderful. Um, yeah. So I'll be looking for that, and hopefully. Uh, by the next one, which we will be recording sooner than we did this one, um, <laughs> well, you hopefully you'll have uh, some sort of other dates and news about that. Uh, we'll see. Um, I'll keep you informed. Oh, thank you. Well, meaning uh, you, you are a devoted listening audience at home, or in your car, or at the gym, or at work. You're probably is at work. Could you imagine listening to this at the gym? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> there'd be <laughs> so many head there'd be so many head injuries. People just like uh, nodding off and their 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 head just their beam just <laughs> slamming down on the handle at the uh, treadmill or the bike or the spinning devices or whatever the heck they got in those things. I don't know. Or getting a thumb caught in a weight machine or something. Like what? Well, oh, I wasn't paying attention. I was I was listening to. I don't know. All right. Well, let's show for this time around. Um. If you want to listen to other episodes, you can go to jmtpodcast.com. And coincidentally, if you want to keep up with uh, what's going on the show and what we're posting and reposting of others about Columbia the Internet, you can visit JMT Podcast on both Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, if you want to write to us, uh, send us an email. Um, now that we're actually back doing these again toward the end, uh, it's Columbo at thecitydesk.net. And if you write us some stuff, hopefully we can actually read it on a later program. Uh, we like doing that at the end because, good lord, we need filler for that uh, last thing that we locked ourselves into doing four years ago after the uh, closing <laughs> bit of the show. All right, well, <laughs> yeah, I gotta think. I gotta, about, I, I gotta think. Don't worry. Settle, I gotta settle. I gotta figure it out. Oh, for this one? Yeah. All right. Well, definitely tell me because I've been trying to think of like, what do I pull from this episode? I will figure out something. Okay, good. Um, okay. All right. Well, that's the uh, show for this time around. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Oh, listen, just one more thing. John, 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 John. So, yes. curling. Yes, sir. So, you went curling today before the show. And uh, how did you find curling? What was it like? Was it fun? Was it difficult? Did you enjoy it? What, what the hell was that about? Oh, it's grueling. Really? I... I cannot believe how I like. I'm. Uh, I actually got a Charlie horse. Were, were you were you, about, were you actually uh, doing the the weight, or were you doing like the 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 thing with the shuffling thing with the uh, brooms? Well, they started the they started me off because of my sonorous tone. Uh, I was Skip, which means I'm the guy who barks all the commands. Oh, I didn't know so, that was a position. That's a position. So that's you could, a position. So there's a sport where you have a position where you just uh, yell commands at people, and that's it. It, it, oh, you, you know uh, it, it's like a, it's like a, uh, the 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 rowing thing the uh, the crew or if you're the yeah. guy at the front uh, wearing the Yale sweater uh, yelling through a <laughs> megaphone at people it's kind of like that yeah okay more or less. yeah <laughs> yeah and then there's two there's two sweepers and then uh, uh, oh I'll tell you I'll tell you this story too the stone the, uh, the stone you have to use a stone they call it stone I know that the uh, yeah. the guy who was was training us sounded and and looked a little bit like Wallace Shawn. What? Wait, what? Hold on. And he was <laughs> he was super cranky, so it was perfect. No, and, you uh, got and, no, no, no. Sweet bitter, sweet bitter. What are you doing? There Stop was it. a lot of like, 
He at one point he stopped to tell throw us it, all about throw it down the what ice. Kind of, what kind? That's a really good Wally shot. Thank yeah, you. it is. I, thank you. Uh, I just saw uh, uh, Princess Pride the other day, so there you go. It's crushing <laughs> my brain. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at one point he interrupted our lesson to to tell us to describe to us what the different garbage cans were used for. Like, uh, okay, this is for compost. You know, it's for food stuff. It's just explaining to us what compost is. We're Wait, all and adults. this is and this is part of the curling. Yeah, it's part of the curling. Um, and then he ended. He would end that by saying, "So you know, help us out." And it wasn't in a nice <laughs> way. It was a really neat way. But at one point, I asked him the name of one of the positions because I'd forgotten. It was um, uh, anyway. So. And I, and I, I was like, so do we call those the sweepers? I think it was, or whatever it was. And he got real serious, and he goes, you're all curlers. <laughs> wow. So, I guess we were all curlers. Curlers.